Hello, and welcome to Shakespeare, the roundtable discussion podcast where we talk about the classics. My name is Chase, and I continue to be your mostly quiet producer. Today, we have our usual panel to discuss the unfortunately very timely, uh, as of early 2021, Murder in the Cathedral by T.S. Eliot. If you want to support us, you can go to our network Patreon at patreon.com slash ghostlightmedia. You can find our website with a link to our merch store at shakespearepod.com. And now, on with the show. When I, Chris started listening to Pride and Prejudice, the week that we recorded that, he finished it and loved it. He thought it was delightful. And he understood what we were saying about how Darcy in the second uh, proposal shuts up. I yep. like I I have attempted to read the book. I've tried. I just I can't do it. I don't like Austin's writing style. I don't like the writing style of that period. It's 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 not my bag. Um, I'm glad that you guys enjoy it, and it, obviously that came through in those episodes. And I wouldn't have listened. <laughs> I wouldn't have listened to ten hours of two episodes of one podcast. It does keep dropping the longer you talk about it. It's true. We are we'll getting... be down to half an yeah. hour before you know it. I wouldn't have listened to 30 hours. <laughs> Thanks, Chase, for one... pointing out he was being reasonable, because now he's stopped. I wouldn't have I wouldn't listened to, I had to, get us back on to 30 hours of, of two episodes of one podcast if obviously you guys were enjoying yourselves and having a good time. So, I, you know, I listened to it. I had a good time listening to it. I get oh, the things That's that you were goal. talking about. I just, I can't stand that. I can't stand the writing. I don't like the way that Jane Austen writes. I don't like a lot of the authors of that time frame. That's, if you don't like the way Jane Austen writes, I have several other authors telling the exact same story um, in a variety of different ways. If you'd like the Look, stack I'm not, I'm goes not, up to like I'm here. not interested in no? reading fan okay. fiction about Pride and Prejudice. I got into an argument Everything on my is fan fiction, Ryan. I got into an argument on my uh, Jane Austen Facebook page. It's all this fanfic. is not fan fiction because it's yes, it is. published. No, it's still fanfic. I got read the Riot Act for calling Lizzie Bennet the Lizzie Bennet Diaries fan fiction. It's still fanfic. It all falls under the umbrella of adaptive literature. If you want to listen to a fun podcast on that. Uh, you've my, got you've got you've something got one. to tell us about. Well, my friend Drew, we do our fairy tale podcast, and we were guests on a podcast called "I Met You on LJ." And our <laughs> episode with them, they break down uh, fandoms, different fandoms every week when they talk. So when we guested with them, um, we talked about the nature of fandom and fan fiction specifically, and adaptive literature and stories that change over time. I, with I get uh, like I loved the fact that I'm old enough to know that you meant Live Journal by LJ. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what LJ stands. See, I love that, that I'm, I'm almost old. too old to know what Live Journal is. Because <laughs> GeoCities, we had GeoCities. Yeah, but we yep. didn't have any Live Journal. Had a Zanga. I didn't have Zanga either. I have talked so I, much about Zanga I remember the existence, this year, like, and it's unreasonable. I remember the existence of both Live Journal and Zanga, but they were both kind of in a weird place where... Ryan, I know what we were doing when Zanga and Live Journal were popular, uh, and it had nothing to do with computers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Speaking of things that have nothing to do with computers... 
Ooh. Ooh. Have, have you guys ever uh, ever heard of murdering people at a cathedral? You ever heard of a little guy it's... by the name of T.S. Eliot? Just kind of funny. Sometimes he wrote poems about cats. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. But other times he wrote plays about murder. Chase and I subjected ourselves to a T.S. Eliot piece. So this is really just bringing... Well, no, what you guys subjected... Where is my Andrew you, Lloyd Webber musical of this? What you subjected yourselves to... <laughs> I want to see somebody do, like, Andrew, a split kick and then, like, stab Thomas Beckett in the head. <laughs> was, Andrew, was Andrew Lloyd Webber taking this and just... Uh, was taking a poem by T.S. Eliot and just fucking it? Well, it's, it's kind of funny, because this... And just fucking it. <laughs> this, just this screaming was, at the top of his lung... Now, yes. this was turned into an opera, so Mr. Mephistopheles. Yes. He wouldn't have to go far, and there is a Mephistopheles-like character in it. Look, we'll there get there. Is. There we'll is. Get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. So, but yeah, so we're 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 talking about murder, at, murder in the cathedral, in the cathedral, not at the cathedral. I know. I always say murder at the cathedral, but so do I. I think everybody yeah, kind of yeah, makes yeah, that yeah. mistake. But, but this is murder. the Shakespeare podcast that we're doing this on. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, murder. And I'm Ryan Halfhill. I'm Beth Roars. I'm Cassie Greenlee. And I'm Chase Green. And we're talking about T. S. Eliot and murder. So yeah, in. The cathedral. In the cathedral. This was written in 1935. I think it was first performed about... in 35. I think it was written before, wasn't it? Okay. Well, early 30s, early 1930s. Yeah. But it takes place in the 1100s. 1170. Yeah. We're going back to that sweet, sweet Plantagenet era. <laughs> 11, um, 1170, 1190, somewhere back, around there. Back to a Henry. It's 1170. To it is. Henry. Back to a Henry. Henry II. Henry II. So, the. The play takes place on two dates, and we know the dates, because it's December 2nd, 1170, uh, and December... And December 29th. Yep. So we know the dates, because... Because uh, one, he comes back, and <laughs> one, he gets stabbed. Well, so, yeah, spoiler one, words, there's a murder. <laughs> just so you know, I, if the title... I appreciate that the title gives you a very clear roadmap for where this story is going. Yeah. Uh, it it's reminds gonna... me, there's a book that came out in the last couple of years. It's called They Both Die at the End. Again, it's a title that gives you a real clear roadmap. Oh, it's like a... You cannot say at except, the end of except, that book that you were surprised. Except I love the book John Dies at the End. Because John doesn't... Well, he does, well, no. but he doesn't die at the end. He dies somewhere in the middle. It doesn't stick. But then he's alive yeah. at the end. It doesn't stick. It is... That that trilogy of books is so good. I still so haven't good. read the third one. I've read John Dies at the End and this book is full of spiders, but I need to read the third one. I yeah. read that book and then I read Odd Thomas and then I finished the Odd Thomas series, but I never bit back to John Dies in the End because they're kind of the same. This book is full I of spiders to. is real good, but John Dies at the End is just in a in a league of its own by itself. Yeah. Like, that book yeah, by horror itself. Horror comedy is not something you see a lot. Yeah, and that book by itself. I, I mean, I do love some good horror comedies. Um, it was one of the very I, first like crowdfunded publications. Publishing. Yes. It's what well, it started on a website, um, pointlesswasteoftime.com. Where speaking of pointless waste of time, this podcast. <laughs> oh no! Oh, so off no, topic. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, speaking of, since we're talking about it, um. Number one fan, Tyler Lemons, uh, and I were messaging today, 
today mm-hmm. while like prior to us recording this he's been listening to the Titus episodes good episode he said he was jumping around a little bit he's like i got bogged down in the histories he's like i had to jump so he did too comedy. many henry's he did comedy of errors and today he was listening to titus um but he sends everybody his love uh from oregon yay so he and i were chatting a little bit earlier um and he was super he was super pumped he really enjoyed listening to the titus episodes and i told him i said you're like the person that gets shouted out the most on this entire podcast like we talk about tyler more than like anyone we should have him on it sometime we did i know but we need to have him actually on it like yeah (laughs) with everybody (laughs) not just yelling about how much uh he hates my interpretations and feelings about romeo and juliet (laughs) oh my god but speaking of henry yeah uh the second Dose. Henry II had some beef with this dude named Thomas Beckett. The Archbishop really of start. Canterbury. So I have I have developed feelings that have changed over time about Thomas Beckett. Um, he is a, a venerated saint of the Catholic Church. Which is strange because he got murdered in a cathedral. In a cathedral. In, so, in so, Canterbury Cathedral, yeah. no less. Yes, well, it's because when he was in France, nobody gave a shit what he was doing. Well, yeah, because well, he, he spent seven years in France. Right. Just, he was exiled. Just fucking off for seven years. I was about to defend him again. So, so let's let's, let's talk yeah, about let's go plot. through the plot this time. One of the th- one of my pins for next episode is: Is he in any way justified? Like, what would you have done? So I don't fully understand. Is who justified? Is what justified? What's the justification you want to talk about? Is Thomas Beckett justified? So, little history. Let's do the history real quick. Thomas Beckett was the Archbishop of Canterbury, part of the Roman Catholic Church still. When the Yorks came to power, Henry II was crowned by three other bishops but it was supposed to be the archbishop who did the crowning yeah well the archbishop of canterbury is like the right the archbishop right it's supposed to be him that does the crowning so that he's doing the anointing they did it without his permission and he excommunicated those bishops and that is stepping around his position right and that's what pissed henry off is that it kind of delegitimizes his reign. So, Beckett, well, when you've got the Archbishop of Canterbury telling you to basically, you know, telling the people that put you in, fuck off. Right. So, he leave, he flees to France because he has done this thing and the And Henry II is Technically, I think the the papal court was in France, like there was a Separation of a papal court at one point in time. Was that one of the doubles? Was that one of the times when there were two papal courts? I I think so. And the one in France. But he. Yeah. I think it's an Agincourt, too. I have to go look it up again eventually. I don't really care right now. It's unimportant. I'm I'm not super up on my Catholic history. So he comes back and he has the choice to keep his mouth shut 
the guy's already been king for seven years, or he can keep talking. So, the is he justified in excommunicating these priests? Is Henry justified in being pissed? And are the knights justified in riding across England and stabbing him? So that's all stuff for us to talk about in the next so, one, yeah, because my feelings on his three, justification have gone back and forth. Three justifications, then. Three justifications, That yeah. we're looking for. So where is the but insurrection, in of, I guess, is what we're asking. Who yeah. who did who wrong? Who's got, who is insurrecting? Who was, who in was, terms of the plot for this one, it's really, it's pretty straightforward and a little bit sparse. Yeah. yeah uh, uh, Archbishop comes back from France, wrestles with some demons... Unfortunately, uh, that's a metaphorical that's a metaphor. wrestling. We don't actually get like. Well, no, it would have. Uh, we do have the tempters. Thomas Beckett square. Yeah, so well, we got the tempters, but he's not literally wrestling with them. He's not like squaring up to go again. It's a directorial choice you could match. make. You could make that choice. You could. It's true. You could make it the fighter. Uh, oh, and then... I, I do like luchador tempters. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. So t- coming, it's all coming, luchador. Coming off the top rope, throwing a hurricane rana around the neck of Thomas Bennett. <laughs> Exactly. So there are basically, all right, so the start of the play starts with the chorus, and it's a very mm-hmm. Greek chorus it's kind of style. It's a very Greek-styled play. It's a chorus of women, and they're basically going, hey, look, dude, um, things aren't great here, but they're okay. They're fine for us. Like you might not. Um, you sure you've you been gone for seven years, Tom. You coming back has the potential to make things way worse. Do you maybe want to consider staying in France? Maybe. And they're lamenting, you know, if he comes back, what happens to us? What happens to the town of Canterbury? Well, uh, and Beckett how far? knows. So Beckett knows at this point, like right at the beginning, he knows he's coming back. He knows that his martyrdom is imminent. Murdered because he him? came back. He know, well, he knows that there's a good likelihood that somebody's going to stab him because he came back. Right, right. And he's reflecting on that, like, right as soon as he comes back. He's like, uh, you know, somebody might piece me out of this mortal coil because I showed back up in England after seven years. But he's got three priests who serve the archbishop who are pretty excited to have him back because it's been seven years without leadership. They're 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 pleased that he's there. It's gonna go fine. Everything's gonna be okay because our archbishop is back. Right, and they really wax ecstatic on the separation of church and state, which isn't really an idea in the 1130s, but is in 1930. But they wax ecstatic on how kings rule, barons rule, but God and his and his men of the cloth are all above that ebb and flow with the violence of kings that kind of thing and in rides a herald to tell them that I indeed the bishop is back the archbishop is back but yeah, it, bad boy is back that boy is back and you never know you know he could never be whacked oh my god <laughs> you need to drink that coffee quicker cause or more beer, something. Fix it. So, priests welcome Beckett back. 
he's like, yeah, 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 good to be home. Probably gonna die soon. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but then, basically, like, basically, yeah. He comes in and they're like, in a hey, is your exile over? And he goes, maybe I kind of need. Like, for all I'm intents here. and purposes, kind of maybe. Like, I don't know. I'm I didn't. Here. I didn't. I didn't check. <laughs> I'm, I'm here. Is the exile over? No. No. Am I going to die here? Yes. Yes. I don't like what you're saying. Are these things related? <laughs> probably. 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 But as he is like shutting himself away in his office, he is visited by these four it's, tempters. Right. It's some strong. He's got some strong. Um. Uh. What the hell is Mona Lisa Saperstein going on <laughs> when he comes back? <laughs> Okay. Go no. Go on. I need you to. What do you mean by that? I've never done anything wrong. Okay, fair. And he's I hoping. Don't, I don't like what you're saying. Ever and if you life. say it again, I'm gonna burn down religion. Exactly. But then Henry's <laughs> yeah. gonna do the he's same thing. He's got some thing. strong Mona Lisa Saperstein, and he's hoping that Henry is gonna be like Daddy Saperstein. Money, please. But, but we know that's not gonna happen. Because the title of the play is called Murder in the Cathedral. So there are four tempters. And the first one offers, like, physical safety. Like, shut your mouth. Play it quiet. You'll be fine. Well, yeah, and these these four are supposed to represent the last temptations of Christ. Um, So I really want to see this with Willem Dafoe playing Thomas Beckett. I haven't watched The Last Temptation of Christ in a really long time. But it's fine. But Thomas Beckett doesn't have weird sex with Mary Magdalene, so it's fine. But Willem Dafoe does. It's not Jesus, it's Willem Dafoe. I I have seen that movie exactly once. That's all I needed. I was well within my cups, so I only remember perfectly. You only need once. I watched that movie. My mother said, don't watch this movie, it's terrible. It's awful. Don't watch it. Very, very sacrilegious. So I did. Of course watched it. Naturally. Yeah. Because Joyce told you no. Well, Video Spectrum had it on VHS, so. (laughs) (laughs) What was I supposed to do? That's all the reason you need. It is. Right there. Video Spectrum. Watched way worse movies. Way worse movies. But, so, they kind of, they kind of mirror, yeah, The Last Temptation, the, the, they're supposed as, to as he's wandering, that. as he's wandering in and the Jesus desert. And Jesus is wandering in the desert. There's these four tempters are supposed to represent that. So first is physical comfort and security. Yeah, the other is power and riches. Like you could get the king, like just really by the balls, and be the power behind the throne if you wanted to. Yeah, you're the Archbishop of Canterbury. You've got the Pope. You've got Jesus on your side, man. Well, that's more the the third one is like. The Pope may be Instead French, of Jesus being... is English. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. The Pope may be French. Look, as a specific Jesus. movie reference. It's a good one. Because um, the third tempter is all about... The barons in a resisting the king. Right. You are right. You know you are right. Take up so, arms against this king. So, yeah, get together with the barons and say, this is a false king, and and resist the king, because you're right. And the fourth one, which is my favorite, this one's my favorite, because the fourth one is like, you know, 
If you let him kill you, your message becomes stronger. Just, just strike. Just, 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 let him, yeah. let him strike you down, time. and you will become more powerful. The martyrs. The fourth chapter is really interesting because it's saying, like, hey, you know what? If you make peace with the king, and you just die a natural death, you're just going to be another name. You're going to fade into you're just, obscurity. You're just going to. Nobody's really going to remember who you are, but if you make him kill if you, you get yourself murdered, say in a cathedral, <laughs> you'll become a martyr. Not just at a cathedral. You'll become a, a saint, and your name will live on in the church forever. And it's worth noting and a guy... that that temptation is the only one that surprises him because Beckett is you know, goes into his office and pretty much waits for these temptations to show. Oh, yeah. But when four rolls around, he's like, I, I don't know who you are. You're breaking the rule of what three. Are, what are There's, you doing wait, here, mon frere? Wait a second. There's only supposed to be three of you. Didn't you have some guy in Venice you're supposed to murder with poison? <laughs> he said mon frere, not mon frere. Nope. <laughs> Sorry, he said mon frere. I, Bonfire. If you don't want to go in for like, actual murder, I've got a poison that'll make it seem like you're dead. <laughs> He's a Mon Calamari. My favorite part. <laughs> He's left Shakespeare. I know we've talked about this before, this point, but my no, favorite part of directing this play was doing the Temptations. Well, the and Temptations are great. They are great. They're the the best part. It's the best part. Mm-hmm. I I honestly love the conversation that Beckett has with the third temptation because the third temptation is like no one expects me, and he's like, mm, well, I yeah. did. So I knew you were coming. Mm-hmm. Nobody expects the fourth yeah, temptation. Well, the fourth temptation. So I decided I like the fourth temptation the best because it is the most selfish of well, all yeah. of all, all of the them. Temp- of all the even temptations, more so, he was the best at harmony. Even more so than like the first one where they're like, just just safety, be safe, be safe. It's uh. so selfish. And <laughs> I had the wonderful um uh, Catamaran. Catamaran playing it, and uh I had her do it as seductively as possible. Like mm-hmm. I just had this idea that she would be this fourth temptation would be like in a silky. She'd just be in a silky dress, wrapping herself around Thomas, just being the most alluring and surprising of all of the temptations. There, I love it. I love that one. I, I played the second temptation, and I remember having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, that. I was the second temptation in the second night, if I'm remembering right. Um, and actually, I really enjoyed. Um, and that's a thing that we can talk about more also, but I did really enjoy the, the way you went with this when you directed it. Um, that's one of the reasons that I really wanted to do this one, um, because you had directed it. Um, so you'd have some, some of your directorial insights. So that's all December 2nd. That's yeah, it. It all happens. On- that's the first half of the play. Um, yeah, and he we end with him kind of banishing all of these tempters. The fourth one rattles him a bit. He's like, "Oh, is that what I'm doing?" To do the right yeah, kind thing of, but the... I'm not going to change my plan at all. So, yeah, well, he's got a good line. 
at the end where it's like, you know, now my way is clear. Now the meeting is plain. Temptation should not come in this kind again. The last temptation is the greatest treason to do the right deed for the wrong reason. So he still clearly a, thinks Which is a great that, line. Yeah. That, that like staying his course and speaking his truth is the right thing to do. But if you do it for he the might wrong get reason. Martyred. Yeah, if he's doing it to try and get martyred, then it's for the wrong reason. If he's doing it because it's what's right and he gets martyred. Right. Then he's the good guy. Then he's the, yeah. you know, so, he's the hero of his story at that point. T.S. Eliot, he, yeah, he wrote about cats, but he also does good, good writing. Like, and it's, it's good, good worth pointing out, um, because it is true for 80% of this play, is that everything up until now and going forward for most of it is done in verse. Yes. Yes. Um, because there is a shift later on where it stops being in verse, and that is important. Yeah. And I know we usually save language talk for the second episode, but I do want to point that out. Because there is a very definite break. Yeah, break and we're definitely going to talk uh, about that more, too. Um, but this is yeah. this is probably, actually, in my opinion, this is the best thing that T.S. Eliot ever wrote. I mean, I'm sure. I haven't sh- run enough T.S. Eliot to, to yeah. argue I'm with sh- that. I'm sure, there's, I'm sure there's arguments, and I'm sure there's they're probably very good arguments, but in my opinion. He's he's prolific, and I have not read all of his poetry. That's, um, and that's fair. This yeah, is completely. one of my favorites, because it does have some of. The writing is just so good, and he did such good things with he did good 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 word yeah good i can't think about the look i've been up for a long time i know i know uh heck is empty and all the spicy boys are here yeah well part of that that i love it so that's why i spent so much time on it all right part two so this play takes place the second part is still at canterbury but this is uh, December 29th. So fast forward we have an, 27 days. We have an interlude in between the two parts. Yes. That is the Christmas Day sermon. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Beckett basically goes, hey, I just want to give all y'all a heads up. I may not be here forever. I may not be here next week. Um, I want you to really think about the Christmas message. Yeah, it is. It is and it- how... How you should apply it to your own lives uh, when I'm not here to guide you anymore, which again could be could, could be, be very t- could soon. Be t- it is possible that in a short time you may have yet another martyr. I don't know if you're getting my message. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth in a short time. Well, I may have a very bad day. So the sermon. The only purpose of the sermon in my mind, and I don't even, I think I cut it. I think that's why I forget about it. Really, I don't the only remember, man, it's been a while since you yeah. directed this. I don't remember. This is his stance on those temptations. So T.S. Eliot gives us the first half of the play, which is realistically Thomas going through his own brain about all the different reasons to do or not do words and saying things about Henry. And when he leaves saying, you know, to do the right thing for the wrong reason, almost the entirety of that Christmas speech is him negating that line. Saying, you know, this this is why I'm doing it. I don't want sainthood when I'm gone. I don't want 
to be remembered like that. Just think of me in this Christmas message and, um, you know, go on with your lives. You'll have another martyr. Uh, spoilers. He was made a saint real fast. Oh, yeah. Real fucking fast. Real fast. Yeah, like, the statute of limitations for sainthood, I thought, was longer. We're also, uh, like, it's well, 1170. 1170. The second... 70. The Nicene... Oh, God, what's the name of it? The Nicene Conference hadn't even happened. The Council, like, Council at Nicaea? Yeah. Like, well, that had happened by 1170, hadn't it? Either way, doesn't matter. So one of the things I like to remember when you're talking about 1170 is that the fall of the Roman Empire was three generations before. Three. Yeah. That's it. So T.S. Eliot brings it to the modern forefront. Of this really old story that's too old for me to really grasp how old it is. Just gotta go back and read King John and then that'll help you. I'm not reading a Henry again. Henry's not in this play. Henry is not he's, in he's, this no, motherfucking play. No, he's just, he's just mentioned. That's fine. I don't flip out. It doesn't trigger me. Okay. So Yeah, so, but then we get to the second half of the play and in this... Again, we've got the women chorus going, hey, like, seriously, I just want to reiterate what we said before. Things are okay for us right now. It'd be real swell if that didn't get ruined by, you know, religious upheaval. If you could not hey. try to die, that'd be great. Hey, Tom, you know where's really nice this time of year? Anywhere but here, Lee. Yo, France. Have you, try have you tried France recently? I know you were there for seven years, but... You know, maybe go check. I, I hear things are possible. Have you so, been... I mean, were you in Nice? Did you try Nice? I hear it's nice in Nice. How about Champagne? Very nice in Nice. And the priests are upset with the women for having these opinions. Right. That, They're like, how dare you? Well, and it's the weakness of women. Oh, yes, of course. The weakness of women. It's not that the women are, like, looking out for the the smallest and most innocent among us. Who will get trampled in an awkward no. and turbulent transition? You know, that's fine. Wait, why? Why? Why would? Why would that happen? Kings rule, well, bishops yeah. rule, peasants die. That's what happens. So, I, around this this point, these four knights show up, and for some, for a little bit of of historical context that's not in this play directly, um, stories vary on what exactly this conversation from King Henry II looked like. The the lore is that he says out loud in a room full of people, will no one rid me of this troublesome priest? That may or may not have happened. But speculation. these four knights... Speculation. Speculation, yeah. These four knights hear whatever it is that the king says, and they take it as... I'm going to need somebody to go murder that motherfucker. They go to Canterbury on <laughs> urgent business. Urgent business from the king. So they're going to go uh, murder that motherfucker. Urgent business from the king. No. And the priests are like, hey, um, I think he's kind of, he's in a meeting right now. Oh, yeah. I think he's in the back. <laughs> like, he's in the back. <laughs> He's in a meeting. Get back to you. He's on a Zoom. He's in a Zoom. <laughs> he can't come to the phone right now. 
<laughs> do, do you guys remember being young and at home and if somebody came to the door or called and you picked up the phone and they're like, where's your mom? You were always supposed to say something like, oh, she's in the shower. Yeah, that's yep. what they did. Every time. Yeah. Oh, she's in yeah, the well, shower. Yeah, well, because we were all fucking, we were all fucking 80s, 90s latchkey kids and we didn't want anybody to know that our parents weren't home. Cassie's like, I wasn't a latchkey oh, kid. I wasn't. Our door was literally unlocked 24 No, well, okay. So I grew up on the country. <laughs> we never and, locked the and, house. And mine was most of the time, too. But literally, I spent hours a day with no parent in yeah. my home. The thing was, uh, my mother was the minister. And so if somebody came to the house and like, where's your mom? I was like, oh, she's at the church in our office. You can go talk to her there. Um, but anyway, so the, the priest's... The priests try to uh, get the knights to go away, and then Thomas Beckett ruins their plans by coming out and going, no, I'm here. Let's talk. I'm ready to die. Are you not entertained? He smells there. The priests are like, but you have to deliver mass. Come deliver mass, Thomas Beckett, Archbishop of Canterbury. Nope. I don't feel like that. I came here to chew gum and get martyred, and I'm all out of gum. gum. It's a good day to die. And so, like, the chorus... I ain't got time to bleed. The chorus slides back into the background and starts going, We knew this was gonna fucking happen. We told you this was gonna fucking happen. Uh, Now I need this with the chorus from Hercules. (laughs) Yes, please. The best chorus. Can we get the muses in The best chorus. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Get the muses, but let's do nine and not cut out four of them randomly for no good reason. Well, no, but no, yeah, um, but they they are the greatest Greek chorus in just about anything I've yeah. ever seen. Uh, the muses, but the the knights are telling him basically like these are the charges against you. These are the problems the king has with you. Um, and we're here to to you know talk it out and Beckett's like okay if the king really does have a problem with me then he should be making public declarations why doesn't he come here um well and he he tells he the knights here to talk to me okay well accuse me in public yeah i don't want to be murdered like in private i want to be murdered in public well don't worry like, okay well we're gonna leave but we're gonna be yeah. back the priests get in the way because they're going to start. They're yeah. going to start shit right then. But the priests are like, oh, hey, got to do mass. And the priests try to like lock Beckett in the sanctuary saying this is a church. It's holy ground. They will not force their way into a sanctuary. Uh, psych. As long as they keep <laughs> oh, boy. the barred. Boy, were they wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not murder. But- murder outside the cathedral. <laughs> It's murder in. Not murder on the cathedral grounds. Not murder on the steps of the cathedral. No. No, that's hunchback. Um, But yeah, so, but Beckett basically goes, we are not barring the doors of a house of God. Nope. Fat Friar Tuck yelling, do not shed blood in the house of God. He has. In my mind, Fat Friar Tuck is always the, from the animated Robin Hood bouncing the sheriff out on his belly. Oh no, it's not Friar Tuck. I'm thinking the 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 fat priest from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Mm. That's what I'm thinking of. Either way, all right. So Beckett has this real nice speech, 
about the length of fabric in life and then in the chorus butts in a little bit here with you knowing when to cut your losses and cut the cloth of your life it's uh super creepy which is actually kind of which is kind of funny for a play that's so heavily steeped in christianity and catholicism to go such a fatalistic route um and reference the the norns or the fates the weird sisters but i mean t.s Eliot is leaning really heavy on a lot of greek illusion Oh, no, yeah, for sure. And, but, you know, like, it's just really with some, something that's so steeped in, like, deep in the Christianity to, to bring the pagan, uh, you know, reference in there. Cause I mean, fatalism is definitely not a Christian. <laughs> oh, buddy, I disagree. Well, I put a pin in it. So All right. We can talk about that. I next think time Christianity is full of fatalism. I don't want to burn. Okay. So I think it the knights break in and um Well then they don't break in. Beckett lets them in. They bust He goes, unlock the doors and let the guys with swords come and kill you. The doors are unlocked, but these guys like Do you remember in high school when there was always some asshole idiot who decided to open the door by kicking the handle? Kicks it open, yeah. Like you could have just opened it, like it was open the whole time. But yeah, they definitely—they're definitely busting the door down. Yeah, so they kick the door down, or they're trying to shoulder their way in, and somebody just opens it and they fall on the floor, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they stab the dude, like with no. There's very little preamble. They've already preambled. It's just mm-hmm. stabbing. Stabbing. Dying. Well, yeah, they did their preamble before all the other garbage. It is so awkward. As, like, trying to block this bullshit is super fucking awkward. Because you're trying to have four dudes with swords stab one person. No. Like, that's and that's that's forever. fine. That's Julius Caesar level stuff. You can do that. It's the, let's have, like, figure out a way to make there be a power dynamic of this, like, heated argument with... The priests and the knights and Thomas in the center. And then the knights are going to leave for no reason. And then come back and stab him with no time to rebuild power. Like, it's just awkward as fuck. It was... Well, then the, the actual murder takes forever because as Thomas is being stabbed, the chorus comes in and has a lengthy soliloquy... Oh yeah, clean I mean, the air and clean the sky just, and mm-hmm. it's just a long time to murder somebody. I mean, it's not Mark Antony long. No, no. realistically, it's, unless it's Mark Antony long, it's not long. I, all right, like it's it's. Not but long. I think this death ain't long like, unless Mark it's Mark Antony, Antony long. Mark Antony gets stabbed, but then he's prolonging his own death. This is like. So, tell us okay, he's Desdemona dead. Long. Like, he's dead. He's bleeding out on the steps. The chorus is just here going, your deed is so foul. You've befouled the earth. You've befouled the air. You've befouled England. You've befouled Crimes yourselves. against heaven. So, they are, they are David Ogden Steers singing, Look at the innocent blood you have spilled on the steps of Notre Dame. 
from Hunchback, yes. which is better than the glue that is on the steps of the palace, which could be the other way to go. Blood on the steps of the no. cathedral. <laughs> we could make this a Samheim instead. No. No. Okay. Uh, but but so then the four knights completely shatter the fourth wall. Mm-hmm. They step out of... <laughs> they talk directly to the audience. Yep. Step out of verse. They basically turn the audience and go, okay, so we know that that didn't look good for right. us. Hey, I know that we've all had a great time here today, except that we didn't. We've all had a terrible time here today. Well, we I, except for Steve. Why. Steve really likes stabbing people. This was a good day for him. <laughs> Steve is living his best life. This is, this is his best stabbing life. Stabbing Steve, great Great time. time. But but yeah, they basically turned to the audience to say, let let us explain why we did this and why we were actually in the right to do this. Yeah, we and were right. So we get the other side and, of the temptations, the explanation of the four knights. Yeah, and uh, it's full of like, we have no personal grievance against him. He's kind of a cool guy. We like him, but the king doesn't. So The king said... Kill him. Kill him. Well, so the king maybe, is credited with having said... Maybe not in those exact words. Well, nobody but rid me say of this troublesome priest. Turbulent priest? It's been discredited since then. Yeah. But... But... but I bet you could... I gotta tell you, I He read... probably said, will somebody get me a goddamn cheeseburger? And they were ready to kill Beckett, so they were. they heard... <laughs> Murder of fucking priest. And here's somebody the thing. brought him back um, some fries, though. I I read this play today, and I got to this point, and I think it's like the second night, who says, you know, in the days to come, King Henry is he's not going to be able to admit that he asked us to do this because he's got to save face. But he did ask us to do this, and I read that, and I went, oh boy. This is relevant. It's an insurrection. Right now. Yeah. It was a little uncomfy. Yeah. Who's. Yeah. We did not intend this to be ripped from the headlines because it has been nigh on a decade since any of us have read this and given it a lot of in-depth thought. But who? Hey, this one's a little uncomfy these days. So that's something to talk about. That's definitely a pin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's so, that's definitely a pin. And I think that goes yeah, to who really whose insurrection was insurrectionist. Yeah. But yeah, they basically they they defend themselves. Right. They're like, look, we know that we did this and it's not a good thing to have done and and we killed a man and maybe he should have had a trial, but we killed him instead. And we're going to have to flee for our lives. Like, we're never going to be allowed to live here We have to go to France. Because you're Englishmen. We know that you're going to side with him because he was the underdog. But listen, we're not bad people. We just did what was right. We, we, we took this heat so you didn't have to. Yep. Wasn't that nice of them? Right. Aren't they heroes? Just the best. And then they leave and the chorus comes on and goes, we didn't want this to happen. Things were fine. They were really okay. And now we got to deal with this Beckett was asking for it. I mean, it kind of was. 
Come martyr me. He was actively trying to not ask for it, weirdly enough. But at the um, same time, he... while he was, but like he was coyly, while saying like, don't martyr me, he was like giving the bedroom eyes to Henry too, going, <laughs> martyr me. Martyr me. It was gross. M- martyr me. I would uh, martyr and me. That's kind of, would you martyr me? That's kind of where we... <laughs> no. No. Yeah, that's kind of where the play leaves us. Yeah, it's kind of where we So I, f- um, I feel like the play definitely leaves the audience in a place of, like, you get to decide. Who was in the right. Yeah. Um. Now, something I have learned is that you could walk up to people on the street and be like, do you know who Thomas Beckett was? And they're like, oh, yeah, it was like a old English guy. You know what happened to him? Oh, didn't he die? Yeah, they all did. Well, yeah, because all old English guys have died at some point or another. <laughs> this, is, this is the no, natural course. He didn't, and that's why we're talking yeah. about him. So, yeah, he was killed by, like, three knights. Henry, one of the Henrys sent them to, like, go kill him in the cathedral, and it was a misunderstanding. I'm like, okay. Do you know what he did? They'll probably tell you it was Henry VIII. Do you know what he did to to get the king mad? And that's when they think it's Henry VIII that he wouldn't approve the mm-hmm. the divorce. Like, no. Yeah, they, they they all jump to Henry VIII because they assume that any kind of Henry Edith having issues Thomas. with the church, church was Henry VIII. Yeah. Look, Henrys have had a long had history of issues Moore. with the church. Fucking Yorks. Mm-hmm. But this was a fucking Plantagenet. Wasn't this um, a York? Henry II? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I don't care. I don't like the Henrys. He's a Plantagenet. It's the one I'm descended from. Oh. That guy. Sorry. Oh, it had to come up. You gotta work it in. Had to come Plantagenets. Up. I may be mixing us up or something, but I think we actually skipped over why he got murdered to be no, no we, we talked about it a long time ago did we okay yeah, so we talked about it. okay cool never mind henry which, when which henry the second yeah when henry the second was crowned he was not crowned by the archbishop he was crowned by okay. a couple of other bishops three of them in fact who he then excommunicated well because of the, for the of, for doing this for going up yeah. going basically going behind his back because the head of the church the head of the Catholic Church in England has always been the Archbishop of Canterbury. Right. And so, so it's his job to do all of the official Catholic churchy business. And it wasn't like mm-hmm. he was, oh, you took my thunder. It was like a, I don't want him to be king. And it wasn't your right mm-hmm. to say that that was God's choice. Yeah. Kind of yeah. He, he was upset because they overstepped. Not necessarily him in the secular sense, but they overstepped him in the eyes of God because they said that God's choice was Henry II, when as the voice of God in England, Thomas Beckett was the one who was supposed to make that call. Mm -hmm. And that's what he was pissed about and why he spent seven years in France and then got murdered. Murdered. Right there in the cathedral. Stain the blood in the floor of the cathedral at Canterbury. And then he got made a saint like two years yeah. later. Well, it's real easy to come up with miracles and shit for people that are dead. Martyrdom. Uh, martyrdom I don't leads even, to I don't, sainthood. I feel like he... 
I'd have to go look up to see if there were any actual miracles attributed to him. But I'm pretty sure he was made a saint because he stood up for what the Pope wanted. Well, three three miracles? I mean, martyrdom might affect that. I don't know. I don't remember. Like I said. I'll look it up during the commercial break. On the, on the break. So, yeah. Um, th- I mean, this this you didn't want this episode to be as long as the Pride and Prejudice. And I do not have as much to say about this play as I do Pride and Prejudice. No, and I think we're at a good spot with the plot. I think we do have plenty of things that we can discuss when we come back for number two on this. Um, If you gotta write a book report, you can listen to what we have to say, but realistically, it's gonna take you less time to read the play than to listen to the podcast. I mean... Yeah. Just saying. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're doing a book report on T.S. Eliot, this is a great one to pick. You know, like, yeah. if your teacher's like, pick some famous author from the early 1900s and you grab T.S. Eliot, well. Why? I mean, famous what? authors from the early 1900s, I mean, you could pick way worse than T.S. Eliot. It's true. Also true. Way worse. Right. You get way more um... racist, too. <laughs> yeah just make them american it's gonna be like t.s Eliot was at least an expatriate so he's living in england and is a lot less racist for it yeah exactly all right is there anything else or are we ready to close no i think out? that's the plot um that's, that's it all right murder so, in the cathedral well, yeah what did that moose out front say I should have told you the podcast was over. <laughs> All right, guys. This has, yeah, this, the, is, this has been the Shakespeare podcast. Yeah, this has been Shakespeare. I'm Ryan Halfhill. I'm Beth Roars. I'm Cassie Greenlee. And I'm Chase Greenlee. Say we really fubbed that boy. exit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was it's like we're out of practice. <laughs> this is the Beth way of exits. Oh. Oh. We're just going oh, to wander. Going to wander off. Yep. I'm going to just slowly fade this Are we just going to do the Irish goodbye? Whenever possible. <laughs> it is my favorite way to leave any location. That's the Jason Irish burger. Irish goodbye? Where you just bounce you just and you peace. don't tell anybody? You just peace. Yeah, where you just leave and you don't say you goodbye. Straight peace. Jason's just... actually like, we're going to be talking, and all of a sudden it's just going to cut. Jason's not going to say goodbye. Oh, no, we, we faded out like five seconds. This has been a Ghostlight Media production.